Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you want more information on the things that we are doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. Welcome back, Kelly, to the podcast. Thank you. She's feeling great about it. She's super excited to jump in. So today we're looking at uh, the sermon that attaches to Mark 14, the the verses that are in the 30s and the early 40s. So, um, yeah, Mark 14, verse 32 through 42. And specifically, one of the things we wanted to talk about was Mark fourteen thirty eight. So Kelly, if you don't mind, read away. Yeah, Mark fourteen thirty eight says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Which I think we all can attest to the idea that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is, is weak, right? If you've ever been to the gym and you thought, I can totally do this, and then you can't walk the rest of the day. That is my current experience right now uh, that I'm loving. So I I know what it looks like for the spirit to be willing, but the the flesh to be weak. But one of the things we kind of chatted about in the sermon team as we were putting this one together was, what an interesting thing to say to Peter, pray that you would not enter into temptation. Now we... I think if you, at first glance, you just think about that statement, it's like, well, well, duh. Of course, he's supposed to pray that he wouldn't enter temptation. But then the question became, and, and we started to muse on this a little bit, what is the actual temptation that Peter's potentially needing to pray that he doesn't enter into? And so, you know, a couple of the poly, uh, possibilities that we kind of threw out as we were doing this, one was for Peter just to get up and run right here as he's freaking out with these people arresting Jesus. Uh, it's going to happen in the next couple of verses. It's possible that Jesus is saying, I want you to pray so that you're able to stand fast and not freak out and run away um, in that moment. That's that's one possibility. Another possibility we talked about was the fact that he is striking someone with a sword and cutting their ear suggests that, that he's doing something. You had a slightly different take on that or a different way of saying that. So what I, I would say... You know, Peter praying that he wouldn't be tempted to, to strike back. What were you, I think you said, like to take things in his own hands. What, what are you thinking there? Yeah, I think many times we try to take things into our own hands rather than waiting on the Lord and really knowing what he wants in that situation. So I think that is a good example of Peter trying to take something into his own hands when he lunges mm-hmm. with the sword and not really waiting on the spirit to lead him. He was more in reactive mode rather than trusting God's will in that. Totally. And you're trying to defend the savior of the world. So why wouldn't you take matters into your own hand? Mm -hmm. But for Jesus to be saying, you know, pray that you would not enter into temptation. What a, that's a, that's a interesting thing to think about. What what if that's what, and I I just step back and go, did Jesus just see all the things that Peter could potentially do? And he's looking at Peter going, I want you to pray. I want you to pray that you would not enter into the, these temptations. Uh, one of the other possibilities is that, you know, in the next passage or two, he is going to deny Christ three times. And so was this the expectation of do not, you know, pray that you would not enter into temptation 
going back to what Jesus told him is going to happen at dinner, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, you're going to deny me. But then that creates a whole different avenue for me of could he have prayed to not enter into temptation and then not deny it? What, what does that even do? What, mm-hmm. what does that accomplish? Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's lots of avenues there to go down. But what do you think about that idea? <clears throat> yeah, I was actually thinking about that as well because you have this garden experience <clears throat> in between um, Jesus foretelling Peter's denial mm-hmm. and then actually Peter denying Jesus. So you have this, as you talked about this week, the meanwhile, the mm-hmm. in-between time um, that Peter, Jesus has just declared or you know prophesied that Peter's going to deny him, and then he actually denies him. So here we are in the garden, and Jesus is telling them to watch and pray, and so that they don't, so that he does not fall into temptation. And I was looking at Matthew twenty four forty two, where this word watch is, you know, can be reflected as stay awake, stay mm-hmm. awake, be alert, Peter. Like temptation is coming. And we know that from God's word as well, that the, um, that the enemy, you know, roar, prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for somebody to devour. Mm-hmm. And so I think that Peter is in this. Peter is in this right now. He's in this in-between time of... Jesus has spoken, he's going to deny him, mm-hmm. and now he's inviting him to come in and pray with him, stay awake, watch, because so that you don't fall into temptation. Yeah, I love those thoughts. That's that's so good. And, and if you think about the idea of how much of a different person we are when we're praying and when we're not, you know, when we're asking God to not lead us into temptation or we're asking him to help us to avoid temptation altogether— you know, one of the other possibilities we threw around uh, isn't actually from the book of Mark, but we see this in the book of John, and we know this to be true, where Peter, after he denies Jesus three times, just basically goes up to Galilee, it seems like, and just hides fishing. He's just, he's back to the old, the old Peter. He defaults. Yep. And there's this beautiful reinstatement of Peter in the end of John, but you go, did Peter think he lost everything, right? And Or is this moment where he thought, I blew my chance at following Jesus. I've lost my faith. Now I need to just go back and do my own thing. So it's even possible, as we talked about in the sermon team, that that one of the things Jesus might be saying is, I want you to pray that you don't fall into that temptation mm-hmm. of believing that your failure is enough to push you out altogether, mm-hmm. which makes that reinstatement so beautiful uh, and such a wonderful, wonderful thing. The truth is, all these are four different like possibility options that we talked over. The truth is they're all wrapped up really with one big concept, which really ties to what Jesus is actually praying in this garden. So what is that? What what would one way of us saying, yeah, submit to the will, right? Yeah, yeah I think that to sum this all up, it's to say that uh, this temptation possibly could have been simply as though it's not as simple as we would like it to be, but it's to simply do the will of the Father. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was reflecting this morning, going back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had an opportunity to do the will of the Father. And they were given instructions. They knew what they needed to do, and yet they chose, because, according to their free will, to do not the will of the Father. So I think Peter's at this crossroads as well of doing mm-hmm. the will of the Father, and yet the temptation to not do the will of the Father is right before him. Yeah. And for Jesus to then say, you know, not my will, but yours be done, 
what if we as disciples learned that idea from him and and took that to heart and really meant it, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just, no, the will, may the will of God be done. We, mm-hmm. Sometimes we just throw that around as like a platitude, right? I, mm-hmm. I've had people tell me, when you add that to a prayer, it seems like you don't really believe it's going to happen. You're just kind of throwing a tag on so that if it doesn't happen, then it's not God's fault for it. I'm like, whoa, chill. That's not <laughs> at all what I'm saying. But for me to be someone who understands what my purpose is and who God is and what he is doing and how I'm trying to play into that, for me to say, not my will, but yours be done, that's the ultimate sign of humility. And Mm -hmm. if Peter had done that, Mm -hmm. what if the story was different? Now, I love that the story isn't different, partly Mm -hmm. because I'm Peter more often than I'd like to be, right? I'm sure you're the same. And there's this beauty in uh, Peter failing and then being reinstated that makes me go, okay, even if we don't pray to fall out of temptation, um, Jesus is still able to use us and mold us and, and even use our failings eventually to, to change our story and to do his thing, which is just unbelievable. Which really then segues us into really the second topic and, and final topic for, for this particular episode of just to stop and think about the sacrificial love of God. And when I think about that in this, you've got Jesus in a garden, as you've mentioned. There's a connection to the Garden of Eden. I think there's no question there that there's some kind of connection. Uh, as I mentioned on a previous podcast, there's also this idea that this is actually the route that David used to flee the city when Absalom takes over. And so when we're in Israel, the Garden of Gethsemane is one of these places that we sort of stop and just ponder this idea of Jesus is on the edge of the wilderness and he's praying. Mm-hmm. And for him to say, not my will, but yours be done, there's a sacrificial nature in that where, and I'm not saying David did anything wrong, but David fled the city to, to sort of save it. In this, but in a different sense, Jesus doesn't flee to save it. And there's this weird context and thing going on there. And then I think about just how sacrificial that is, that Jesus is right on the edge of being able to get away, but doesn't. So then that makes me go, okay, sacrificial love of God, how beautiful it is, it's so wonderful, what are some of the things that God does to show us his sacrificial love? And I think there, let's think about it directly with Jesus. What are what are some of the ways in which Jesus models for us what sacrificial love looks like? So you could probably go all day on this topic. So let's go. Let's let's jump in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just thinking of even Jesus's moment in the garden where, you know, he is in distress. He is in distress. His heart is greatly troubled. And I was just thinking about that from the um, physical physical realm. Like, is he distressed because his body is about to be, you know, beaten and his flesh is about to be mm-hmm. torn and he's about to die? Or is this something more at the, like, is this the physical realm or is this the spiritual realm? And I think we have to look at it from the spiritual realm, not just the physical realm. Like, we see the physical realm with our eye, but the... But all that is entailed in the spiritual realm, which, you know, Jesus coming to earth to fulfill a purpose, mm-hmm. and that is to save all of man. He, he came to die and for the Father to be glorified. And so we know how he came. We know he came in a manger. You know, we mm-hmm. know he came amongst stinky cows and yeah. born, you know, as a humble servant rather than the king that he is. And so there's so much that he had to exchange one right. for the other in order to fulfill the the will of God. 
Yeah, and there's so much in the Bible about this kingdom of heaven, what this place is going to look like and be like. You just mentioned stinky cows. I don't think of heaven as smelling, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I think there's so many. When I think about the five senses that I have access to right now, and then I think about the spiritual aspect of it and more, there, I, I think it's going to be tantalizing with all the different things. I think we're going to see things we've never even dreamed of seeing, right? We're going to – I don't think the smells are going to be nasty. And I, I'm sure there's some on the podcast listening right now that are thinking cows don't smell that bad. They're the best animals in the world. How dare you guys bring those up? I totally get that. And, you know, I'm thinking about the dairy farmers, uh, you know, some of them in our church or whatever. Uh, but the truth is – I don't think of heaven as smelling. I think about it as probably smelling greater than we could ever imagine, right? I, I imagine uh, C.S. Lewis wrote the book, The Great Divorce, and at one point he talks about these individuals who don't belong in heaven visiting it mm-hmm. and how the grass hurts their feet because they're not supposed to be there. So it's almost so real that that our physical bodies can't handle the realness of it. You know, it'd almost be like, handing somebody a carrot and they just their hand drops to the ground, you know, because it's mm-hmm. so heavy, it's so big, so dense, so beautiful. And I go, okay, so if, if the senses are going to be like that in heaven, imagine giving that up mm-hmm. to become a human. That, that alone makes me sometimes just weep about how amazing God's love is and how awesome Jesus is for wanting to do what he did. Because... I think he appears a number of times in the Bible. That's my personal theological perspective. I, I think a lot of times in the Old Testament when we, quote, see God, it's actually the pre-incarnate Christ showing us aspects of God's love. So Moses being hidden in the cleft of the, of the cliff, for example, I think is really the pre-incarnate Christ walking in front of him, saying the name of God. Um, and I know that can be totally debated, but I just want you to stop and imagine that being who is so bright and beautiful and powerful that he has to hide Moses so that mm-hmm. Moses doesn't explode from the glory. Mm-hmm. That being is now a baby. <laughs> you know, that being is now sitting in the garden praying, asking not my will but yours be done. That being is is cloaked in flesh, so he's limited to some extent. That's mm-hmm. not to say he doesn't access to all of them. I think he does, but I think he limited himself in some way to just show the world how much he cares. Mm-hmm. Man, I could just, that—that that is something I could go on all day about, but I'm imagining this idea of the senses, the experiences that heaven would give you. Earth is not the same. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. falls drastically short, and that alone yeah. is a sacrificial lo- aspect of God's love. And I think, like you just mentioned, the world. I think if we go back even before the world was created, we see mm-hmm. the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit together. And I just think that this is, there's like three points, you know, from beginning to end where they even had to decide to create the world Mm -hmm. in that moment. But even from that moment, Jesus knew what it was going to take then to save the world. And so we're kind of at the middle part of, you know, the whole big plan from beginning to end. We have the creation of the world where there's nothing the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decides to create the world. Mm-hmm. We make it a mess. But they knew that Jesus was going to have to come. So we're at the middle point when Jesus is right. right here in the garden. Yep. Like, yep. I'm with you. Am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? And then when he returns, and that's the day that we are all longing for and waiting mm-hmm. for, like, mm-hmm. come, Jesus, come. We want to see that where it's the original. We go back to the original of what God really wanted was that relationship with man. And paradise, <laughs> where sin is yeah. gone. Which is huge. And what you're pointing out there, I think, is 
and I'd love to hear you talk about this for a second, but the, the idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being in perfect unity in mm-hmm. the beginning of the story mm-hmm. and perfect unity at the end of the story. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're necessarily completely disconnected from each other here, mm-hmm. but the unity is not, it doesn't seem as close mm-hmm. in the garden, right? If you're asking the Father, not my will, but yours be done, mm-hmm. there's a wrestling match happening. And I think that's Jesus in his flesh, right? Mm-hmm. I think... I know that the spirit of Jesus wants to just do what needs to be done to fix this massive sin problem. And I believe he's being led by the spirit to pray mm-hmm. and do that. So there is a connection. I'm not saying there's a disconnect completely from them, but the unity is not the same mm-hmm. as it is at the beginning or the end of the story, right? Mm-hmm. To some extent. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You definitely see this, even the voice of God you know, sure. coming from heaven, the father, in order to encourage you know, the son while he's still on earth. And we, I think we say it three different times mm-hmm. where the voice of God mm-hmm. um, comes to Jesus. And as I was reading this this morning, I was just like, why can't that audible voice just come to us sometimes in our times of temptation or, right. you know, but they do, they do come through verses that we have memorized sure. or, you know, somebody, but just to have that audible voice. And I think to make this really like personal, you mentioned the gym, you know, the flesh, or the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And there's so many times in our life, you know, I think of those days, you know, being a young, immature, you know, teenager and coming to the Lord. And there were so many times when I was like, Lord, my flesh is, (laughs) my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. And I just think of like Mm -hmm. so many times in life. And I think Jesus right here is just at this, Jesus and Peter, they're both at this crisis of their I'd say Peter is at a crisis of his faith, you know, is this really God or is it not? Am I going to follow or am I not? And we all come to that place yep. where we have to make that decision and it's it's a hard decision and yet yep. one that we won't regret in the end. Right, and Peter fails miserably in the next chapter next mm-hmm. part of the chapter. Jesus never fails. Mm-hmm. And so there's that that even plays into that super sacrificial love idea that He's so on mission that he never deviates mm-hmm. from the mission. So even as you're saying, even that prayer of take this cup from me, mm-hmm. think of how deep that is because he knows what's about to come to some extent. And, and mm-hmm. you know, scholars debate how much Jesus understood or didn't understand. I don't even care about that discussion. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking in this moment he knows what's about to happen to some extent. And in the middle of that he's going – not my will, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. Versus Peter, who's falling asleep in the garden, mm-hmm. not praying to not enter into temptation. Uh, that that connection there does a few things for me. Like I said in the beginning of the episode, one, it makes me realize I'm okay being a failure in mm-hmm. some ways, mm-hmm. although I should keep striving to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And second, he's never going to fail me, so yeah. I should probably focus on him most because he's got it all figured out. Yeah. Anything else you would add? No, I think that just there are different times in our lives where we are at that crossroads and just continuing to fix our eyes on Jesus and surrendering. Mm-hmm.